continuing the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 19 in a moment. But before we do that, we're going to go back into the Old Testament. Just for a few minutes, we're going to go into Exodus chapter 20. Now, in Exodus chapter 20 is where we receive the Ten Commandments. And so to start out our time together, I want to play what I call the Ten Commandment game. And here's how you play it. I'm going to walk through all ten, ten commandments that are on the screen, and I want you to keep track of how many you have not broken in your life. If you've broken them once, that means you've broken that, okay? And I want to see if we have any perfect scores, because if so, you'll be like Jesus and you can walk on water, which is really great. But I want to see if how many of them we actually get right, okay? So here comes... The Ten Commandment game. First commandment and the second commandment are very similar. First commandment says, you shall, have, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment says, you shall not make idols. Now, at first you think, okay, well, I, I'm keeping this one. But really what it is, is that God is first place in our life, or should be, and he always remains first place in our life, no matter what. We don't put anything or anybody in first place, that God always is first place and we worship him every moment of every day, okay? That's the first two. I have a feeling some of us are 0 for 2 already. Number three, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Usually, we say the Lord's name with a cuss word that follows. If you've done that, you have broken that one. Number four, keep the Sabbath day holy. For the Jews, it was a Saturday. For us, it can be a Saturday or a Sunday. It means that you've never worked on a Saturday or Sunday, you've never gone to kids' games or done anything but just resting and keeping it separate from all other days. We'll keep going. Number five, honor your father and mother. I don't think I need to say too much more about that one. Number six, finally, you're okay. Whew. Shall not murder. Some of you are like, huh, I'm still over six. Okay. But don't forget, and we've said this before, I'll reiterate it, Jesus equates murder also hating somebody. Or holding bitterness and anger towards someone in your heart. Yeah, that's a little different, isn't it? Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. There are some that have done that, that have been um, someone that's done that or someone that's had that happen to them, and that's very heartbreaking. Others of you are like, okay, I'm good. I've never committed adultery. Well, Jesus says if you think lustfully about somebody in your mind, you've committed adultery. Yeah. Number eight. You shall not steal. Think back to when you were a kid. You wanted that piece of gum. You wanted that candy bar. Took a pen from work. Yeah, exactly. Number nine. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You've never lied about somebody. And number ten. You shall not covet, meaning you've never wanted what someone else has. All right? So that's the ten commandments. How many perfect scores? <laughs> I didn't think so. I won't have you raise your hands, but how many of you have kept any of them perfectly? Probably none of us. So then Paul, he gets to Galatians chapter 3, then he asks this question. So why then was the law given? Think about it. If the Ten Commandments, which is the moral law of the Old Testament, has been given to us and we can't follow it, then what's the point? What's the point of the law? There was civil laws and ceremonial laws and moral laws that was established by God that people were to follow. And there were over 600 of these laws. And then you would look at him and say, I can't follow this. So why is it there in the first place? Why did God even give it to us 
if we can't follow them and we break them all the time? Well, what Paul's going to teach us today is three reasons why the law has been given. And when we get to the third one, I think you're going to understand that even though we can't keep the law, somebody did, and that's a really good thing. But for the first one, the law has been given to us to point out our sinfulness. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.19, he says, Why then was the law given? Well, it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Now, there's a lot of hope in this verse. There is a coming of a child who was promised for us. There's this promise that it's not only going to be and always going to be like this. But Paul says the reason the law was given is to point out our sinfulness. Now, before we understand exactly what that means, we need to take a step back and understand what sin really is. Because unfortunately, we have hijacked that word to mean something that it really isn't. You see, usually when we talk about sin, isn't it interesting we're always talking about somebody else? Like if we do something wrong, we justify why we do it, we excuse it, it's an oopsie, it's a mistake, just like we would make a mistake in doing a math problem, not a big deal. But when other people, it is sin, it is bad. And we usually rank them like, ah, this isn't really bad, this is uh, not too good, and this is like the worst thing you can do. The problem, though, is when we think about others in these terms and we rank sin, we have gone away from what the Bible says sin really is. And I'm not saying the things that we rank aren't sin, but that kind of heart, that others-centered kind of heart, is exactly what sin is. We see it in other people, but we don't always see it in ourselves. So I want to give you just a definition from the Holman uh, Bible Dictionary that defines what sin really is. It's attitude, so things internally... And actions, things outwardly that we do, by which humans rebel against God, miss his purpose for their life, and surrender to the power of evil. And so instead of focusing on other people, when we look at our own selves and we see what's happening internally and how that comes out externally and how we hurt ourselves and hurt other people, we see pretty quickly what sin is. It's missing God's purpose for our lives. It's telling God we can run the show, not you. And instead of going with God and his ways, we go our own way, which can quickly become evil. Woody Allen, the director, puts it pretty clearly when he says, the heart wants what the heart wants. Isn't that true? We live in a culture that says, follow your heart. Do what you think's right. Well, every time I do that, it gets me in a lot of trouble. Because what I think is right, and then what ends up happening usually isn't right. That's why St. Augustine says we're curved inwardly. Meaning we see things from our own perspective, we see other people from our own perspective, and we want to control things, we want to dictate things, we want to determine things based upon how we think it should go. A.K.A. we want to be God. It's rooted in selfishness, it's rooted in pride, it's rooted in we think we run the universe. That's what sin is. And the law points out, look, here is God's law that you should follow and that will lead to a good life. But because you don't think God really is in control, but you are, you determine what's right. And then we negate the law. For instance, let's go back to the Ten Commandments for a second. You shall have no other gods before me. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But for today, 
If it's true that to have no other gods before God means we don't worship anything else, all of us usually do. Something becomes a priority more than God in our lives, whether it's money or possessions or our kids or sports or health or outward appearance or materialism, other things that we say we need this for worth, satisfaction and value. We need this to really have what we really want in life. And we place it above God. Again, it points out our sinfulness. We determine what's right. We determine what's good, not God. Or the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. My wife and I were redoing all of our kids' rooms and we're going to um, wallpaper them with this verse just all through the wallpaper. Because we believe that kids should memorize scripture. As long as they memorize this one, I don't care about anything else. (laughs) But we know, no matter how old our kids are, whether they're little or big, Our kids think they know more than us as parents. And the reason they do that is because we did the same thing to ours. And if we have older parents, we still do that to our parents. We don't always respect them. We don't always honor them. God gave us parents to truly respect and honor. And sometimes we don't do that because we think we know best. Again, it reveals our sin. It reveals we are the ones in control. We're curved inwardly. Or how about this? The 10th commandment, you shall not covet. To covet means to want what other people have more than what you already have. And wouldn't it be so nice, whether it's a little thing or a big thing, whatever God's given us, we would just say, thank you, God. And we were content. But we're never really content. We're always comparing ourselves to other people. We see our neighbor get a new vehicle, and we're trying to plan out should we egg it or not, because they should not have that vehicle. We want that vehicle. Social media is one of those things we see people going on vacations, going here, going there, buying this, buying that, and we just think, man, I wish I had that. I should have that. That's why we don't always congratulate people when they get a new job because that was the job that we wanted. We will fight against people who get what we want because we want what they have. We're not content in what God has given us. It's a revelation of what's in here because the heart wants what the heart wants even if someone else has it. I don't think I have to convince you that when you see the law, God says, do this. We say we want to do this. And it's usually the opposite of what God wants. And the apostle Paul says, well, look what happens. He says, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Christ Jesus. So we determine, God, here's the law. We don't want to follow the law. We want to do our own thing because if we do our own thing, we will have the lives we always wanted. We will determine happiness. We will determine joy. We will determine freedom. And Paul says that's fine, but don't be surprised that when you do what you want and you follow your heart, it ends up in a sort of prison. We've said all along, true freedom is found in Jesus only. And when we follow our own hearts, it's so interesting how we hurt other people, we hurt ourselves, we get ourselves into situations we wish we can get out of because it's truly a prison. It promises freedom at first, but then it locks the door behind us. So that's what the law does. It points out our sin. Second reason is this. It points us away from danger. It's a good thing. Galatians 3.23 says this, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, 
We were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Verses 24 through 25. Well, let me put it another way then. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. I want to tell you what that word guardian is. I think J.D. Greer does a really good job of explaining it even better than I can. He says this. The key word in these verses is guardian. Some translations say tutor. And Paul is referring to a school teacher or a nanny who oversees a child, training them up in the ways of adulthood and making sure they don't kill themselves accidentally before they become adults. That's why when we go into your house, there are laws, a.k.a. rules. And the rules that you have in your house are not to control people, but it's to be able to enjoy what you want to have enjoyed and to be able to be within your house to where you want things to be at peace and all the things that come by following these kinds of rules. That's why with our kids, when we give them rules, they want to say no. Why? Because they think we're controlling them when really we're just trying to get them from not killing themselves. And what's so hard about that with our kids that they don't understand that we understand is that when we say no to something and they really want us to say yes, we're not saying no because we don't love them. but We're saying no because we do. Because we see what's down the line if they continue on this path. And when we say no, it's out of love. My kids don't agree with that. My son, I think, would like to go live with other people because their parents are letting them do this. And I always say, that's fine, Hudson. I know other parents will let them do this, so go live with them if you want. I'll actually call them right now. I'll pretend to get my phone out. He'll be like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> because if you go in their house, they're going to have rules that we don't have. Because they think this is the way they should parent kids. Everyone has rules because we want our kids to be successful in life. We want them to get where they're supposed to be. We guard them from themselves. That's what the law is. In fact, really, it is a guardrail on each side. Imagine when you're driving to Port Clinton and you have to cross the bridge and it's a windy day and your car starts going right or starts going left, depending on where you're at. You're really thankful for guardrails because if not, and your car continues to go this way, you're not going to plunge right into the lake. And that's what the law is. It's God saying, I put it here and here so you can continue to get where I think you need to be to have the life you really want. It's a guard, it, they're guardrails to protect yourself from yourself. Again, we don't look at it that way because we're sinful. We want to be in control, but it's a good thing that the law has been given. But the law, while it's a really good thing that God gave it to us, is insufficient in knowing who God really is. The Apostle Paul begins chapter 4 this way. He said, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. Let me pause here. Every time we see the word slavery in the New Testament, it is not based upon color or race, just like we have seen happen in our own country and still happens around the world nowadays. Slaves are more as bond servants. They're actually kind of part of the family. It was actually a good term, not like it is used now. Verse 2, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. 
And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Paul's literally saying, look, you can follow the law and follow the law and follow the law, but like a child promised an inheritance, it feels like you're doing this, doing this, doing this, waiting, 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 and you're not getting what you deserve in the end. And that's what the law does. You follow it, you follow it, you follow it, you follow it. And though it could still get you going in the right track, it still doesn't give you the intimacy with God that he promises. Because the law is insufficient. It is not the way to God anymore. It actually points us to something more. It points to the way of Jesus. We looked at verse 19 before, when Paul says the law was designed temporarily to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. The law was only until Jesus was born into this world, grew up to be Savior, lived the life we couldn't live. And when he did that, the law, it went away. It was fulfilled. The Apostle Paul, he puts it this way in one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. But... When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Jesus was born into this world and had the same requirements as us. Follow the law perfectly. If, we, if he were here today and we did the Ten Commandment game and I said, who followed it perfectly? The only hand in the air would be him. He was subject to all the laws, but he didn't break one. And because he finally came and didn't break one, he fulfills the law. He completes the law. The law is now not over people anymore. Because Christ completed it with his life. And God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. If it's true that our own sin and trying to follow the law that we cannot do on our own gets us into prison, Jesus comes with the keys and unlocks the door. He welcomes us out, but not just as a normal human anymore. He unlocks the chains to go from slave to son and daughter. He has freed us from having to follow the rules, freed us to follow a system And instead he says, follow me, because I have fulfilled the law perfectly. And because we are his children, Paul says, God has sent his spirit into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And now you, who are no longer a slave, but God's own child, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We have gone from being enslaved to the kind of life that we thought would give us the freedom that we want, to now being unlocked once and for all and change our identity from slave now to son and daughter. And that changes everything. But here's the problem. I've been following Jesus now for 20 plus years of my life, and when I became a Christian, I was told, now you are a child of God. And then we go on living as if it's not true. We know it theologically. We know the Bible says it. But when it comes to our lives, we don't truly believe it. 
we live out in a different identity or we're still trying to prove ourselves or we're still trying to be a slave to something that we think will give us life, but it never does. And we don't actually believe that we are now sons and daughters of the king. If you really want to take your spiritual journey to the level that God has for you, you need to start believing that he loves and accepts you as you are, and you are his child. You are now in the family of God. And he wants to not just declare this over you, but he wants you to live out of that declaration. And so as I was getting ready for this message, I just thought, I don't really get it. What does it really mean? And I want to just give you two reasons that being a child of God changes everything. The first is this. As a child of God, I know where I belong. There are things that all of us have in common in here, though we all live different kind of lives. lives. One of the things that we have in common is we want to know that we are accepted, that we belong. That we don't have to become somebody in order to become or to belong. We just want to belong because of who we are. We are desperate for that. And when we don't have that, we become someone that we don't like or we do things that we would never do in order to try to feel accepted. Henry Nouwen, he puts it this way. When we feel like we don't belong, he says, I feel like I am a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. Think about that. We don't live on the ocean, but we do live on a lake. If you ever see a boat that's just floating there without an anchor, it's just going in whatever direction the waves push the boat. It may be going closer to the destination or further from the destination, but it's at the mercy of what is happening around it. And when you feel like you don't belong, you are at the mercy of everybody else around you. People's Thoughts about you, people's opinion about you, circumstances, what's to come. You are going this way or that way like a boat on the waves without an anchor. And to not be long is to live such an empty life that you become so desperate that you become someone that you never thought you'd become just to feel like you fit in. Jesus says, if you will trust in me, I will come onto your boat and I will drop the anchor. And that anchor is of belonging, of love, of acceptance. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. Because you have gone from slave to sin to now a child of the king. And you live out of that kind of identity. And that identity shapes you and it leads to you becoming the person that God wants you to become because you are living in light of his declaration of your life. In fact, Paul says when this happens, you can call God Abba Father. So often we think God is busy just leading the world up there, not really caring about us. But he says, when you trust in Jesus and you become his child, you get to call him the name that your kids call your own grandfather or your own father. When I come home and my kids actually want to see me and they run into my arms, they know that I love them and I will protect them and that I care about them. They are my own. That's what God says about you. You can run into his arms. You belong to him. He is your daddy. He is your papa. Papa, you get to know that no matter what happens, you belong because you are his child. 
There is nothing better in this world. No money, no kind of fame, nothing can replace that kind of identity. It changes everything when you can just run into the arms of your loving father. Live in that. You are declared as a child of God. You are adopted into his family. I think of my friend Larry and Emily Robinson. You saw their video a couple weeks ago where they had their biological children and then they had Charlie. Charlie is not an and kid where it's, these are our biological kids and our adopted kid. They are all Robinsons, including Charlie. And for the rest of Charlie's life, he knows he belongs to a family. How beautiful is that? I think of my friend Dawn. Dawn was on staff for a long time. And Dawn, she has two children. And one of the kids is adopted, and her name's Hannah. Well, I never knew Hannah was adopted, ever. In fact, I would go up to Dawn and say, man, Hannah is getting so big. I cannot believe how much she looks like you. Even though she really doesn't, because it's her adopted mother. And one day I was talking to somebody, and in just in the conversation, someone said, oh, yeah, yeah, and Hannah's adopted. And I looked at them like they were speaking a different language. I said, Hannah's adopted. How can that be? And then it hit me. It is because she doesn't treat her differently than her own son. Because that's her own daughter. She's a Schmid now. You are not who you are and a child of God. You are a child of God, adopted into his family. And because you are his child, you are able to now live free. The prison door can be unlocked, and you can come out and live the freedom you always long to have. Because too many of us are living a life that's void of the true freedom God wants to give us. And when you become his child and you live in that, oh my goodness, nothing can stop you. In fact, it was Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he was speaking these words in the Old Testament about himself. It was a prophecy he fulfills and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. That's us. That's us. He came to free us from ourselves to follow him as his child, to lovingly understand we are different now, and because of that, we can truly live the life God wants for us. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and now we can go out and live in freedom. And that's why we celebrate communion today. So take your communion cups out, would you? And